Flower Footy. My name is Matt Baker. We are broadcasting from the Big 550 KTRS before the game as the pre-match show. If you're new to Flyover Footy, we are a St. Louis-based soccer podcast that goes deep into all things St. Louis City SC, as well as anything else going on in the world of soccer in St. Louis. Uh, I'm joined here with Santiago Beltran, who you may be familiar with as one of the Spanish broadcasters for the club and one of our co-hosts here on Flyover Footy. Santiago, how are you? Doing great, Matt. Uh, it's been a great week. 12 points out of 12. So what else can you ask for? The dream continues, right? It's uh, it's a surreal and it makes it even that much more exciting to keep talking about it week in and week out. Yeah, it's it's great. And I don't think a lot of I don't think anybody imagine uh, that the team was going to be on a four game winning streak to to start the season. So let's no. see if we can make it. Five out of five. Quite the opposite. And one thing I want to get to after we talk about the Quakes match last week is uh, a bit of those shifting expectations. So not to get too ha- too ahead of ourselves here, but you know the the discussion around City is markedly different as we sit here uh, approaching match week five than it was going into the season. So much so that it seems like we're starting to hear murmurs from some of the national media that it would be, at this point, a disappointment for City not to make the playoffs, which is just a wild thought to consider. Yeah, especially after just four weeks. But but yeah, if you think about it, 12 points. And uh, I'm not going to say numbers here because I don't like to jinx things. No. But if you think about how many points are needed to make the playoffs and how many games are left, yeah, in theory, it should happen, but have to take it one game at a time yeah and and like we've seen so far in these first four matches um the the sustainability of the system seems to be working it seems to be shining through pretty well but you know let's take it back a little bit uh before we go into ralph salt lake which is our week five opponent let's look back at how city faced against the quakes and uh i, I think this to me was the highlight of the season so far in the sense that we weren't coming from behind at any point in the season for the first time all year. We, we never had a deficit to overcome. It was kind of our match to own for the duration, our game to play. And, and we really made the most of it with all of these uh, chances created opportunities, the possession uh, lined up well with what we were wanting. And in the, the interesting thing to me is we noted it in the press conference this week that this was the second time we saw somewhat of a 4-4-2 formation as opposed to our away matches, which skewed more towards a 4-2-3-1. Now, whether that is um, uh, out of necessity from some of the injuries and unavailabilities that we had or not, you know, that's that's debatable. And we should probably talk about that. But before I get your take on what you thought, the, how the match started and, and kind of flowed, let's let's consider that the starting lineup the St. Louis rolled out for the Quakes match was Berkey and Nett, like he always has. Uh, back line was John Nelson, Kyle Hebert, Lucas Bartlett, and Jake Nerwinski. Bartlett obviously stepping in for Tim Parker, who was unavailable due to a groin injury. Edward Leuven, Indy Vasilev in the midfield with Jared Stroud and Tomas Ostrak as our wingers. And then up top, Klaus, along with uh, Nico Giochini, who had his second start of the season. 
So with that four four two rotation kind of going, um, oh, I'm sorry, I mentioned Ostrock, didn't I? It was all yes, uh, yes. I saw your face. I saw your face, and so I'm thinking, all right, what did I mess up on? And then I realized <laughs> Ostrock didn't start this game. It was all. Yeah, I started to think. I was like, wait, he didn't start. But I started to go back and think about it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure you he know, didn't start. But Nancy, I'm fairly certain at this point that it's a host's curse. <laughs> Because Phil's had some of those slip ups and I've thought each time I'm like, oh man, how could he have done that? And I did it myself, you know? Okay. So Alm did it. Um, yeah. and, and we, we miss Phil to death, obviously not here with us. He's on a vacation with his family. Uh, hope he's having a blast and we'll talk to him next week, but that's our starting 11 going into the quakes match. It had success. What, what did you think about the starting 11? What did you think about their performance, especially early on? Well, to, to start with, I was surprised. Well, a little bit surprised to to see Bartlett uh, in the starting lineup, and just it was just because he he was signed um, recently, and even though he had been training with the team and he got some minutes the previous game, I wasn't thinking he was gonna start uh, to replace uh, Tim Parker. I was thinking more like maybe Josh Jarrow, maybe uh, Bill, uh, but. Bell had not played, so maybe it didn't make sense. But um, he started and he played really well. So yeah, surprised it, that surprised that he started and surprised the way he played. And I think I think a lot of us had that that thought too because while he's been with the team in camp for the duration of preseason, there was that very late announcement and very late signing of him to the first team roster. And so he, he kind of saw a very quick progression where he came in mm-hmm. late against Charlotte, I believe it was. And then, and then started this match. So do you think it speaks more to Bartlett and his ability and, and the way he's impressed the staff, or does it speak sort of to some of those other guys that you mentioned as far as what the staff might think of them? I think, um, and, and Bradley Carnell has said, has said it multiple times, there is always competition going on and um, all these guys are fighting for minutes and the team, and that, that's, uh, that proves the team has depth in the position. And um, the one thing I like about Barlett is that he's, he's really tall, so um, that helps uh, with the crosses and with the set pieces. But um, yeah, I think I think the coaching staff has seen great things from him, and obviously he came as a trialist. But he has gone through that progression, and at the end, earned that spot and showed uh, with his play um, in that game that that he can do it, and he will probably get the start again, especially if uh, especially with uh, Kyle Heaver out, and we don't know what's going to happen with Tim Parker. We're going to talk a little bit about that later. But um, yeah, I think he earned his spot at least for this next game. Yeah, and and it's wild to consider going into a game only in week five. Lucas Bartlett is considered the reliable center back starter. It, it's just a just kind of a wild thought considering where we we just were, like you said. But before we get too ahead of ourselves, you know, let's look at some of the highlights of the match. Let's go let's go over some of these goals because the impressive thing about this team wasn't just their overall performance it was how some of these goals were scored so let me set the stage for the first half goals how about we start there so the first half uh we got started in uh, on the scorecard around the 34th minute with a goal by uh, nicholas uh, joachini so leuven started this play he won the ball in our defensive third had some quick passes between him and klaus 
which led to a push from Leuven to Nelson on the left-hand side. Nelson received the long ball and had himself just a, a beauty of a cross deep into Joachini, who found himself in the box, right place, right time. And it appeared, at least from the MLS's perspective, that there was a slight <laughs> tip from, from one of the players. Somebody touched it from the Quakes. Uh, Joachini was able to gather it back up and finish, finish cleanly. But with that goal in the 34th minute, you know, jo- Joachini obviously getting on the scorecard for the first time as a, as a member of St. Louis City, his first goal of the season, um, just kind of cementing his place on this team again. But, you know, the work that John Nelson did to create this opportunity, the work that Leuven did again to start and facilitate that, regardless of if MLS is going to give them an assist, which they didn't, I think yeah. we can't we can't uh, detract from their their participation in that goal, just like they have been for just about every chance we've created. Yeah, for sure. Even if it's not officially an assist, um, yeah, um, for us it was an assist and great, great play. And when when the play started uh, with those quick passes, like oh my god, the team has numbers like uh, three against four. But but then when we went to. Uh, to Nelson, uh, I think he waited a second or two, and then um, then uh, the defense uh, was kind of back into place. But still, uh, he found Joachini, and it was a great finish by by Joachini, uh, finding that ball and fighting for it, and great finish. And it's great to see Joachini scoring uh, his first goal with with City. Uh, I think that will give him a lot of confidence for the rest of the season too. And I really liked what Joachini said on um, one of the pods that Tom Timmerman from the Post-Dispatch did. And and he had Joachini on as a guest. And the the idea being that Joachini knew where he needed to be in that run of play. So much so that he kind of, he made it seem like he looked at Nelson, saw where Nelson's eyes were, and was able to position himself perfectly to receive that ball. Which if you think about how quickly that play developed, and the things that Joachini had to think about in addition to knowing where Nelson was and to be able to position himself there to see his eyes and, and able to know, all right, he's looking to put the ball <laughs> in this certain spot in the box. And he was able to get himself in that certain spot to collect the ball. That to me, more than anything, I think that we're going to talk about here speaks to the teamwork and just how on the same page everybody is in this system and with how the ball is going to progress at any given time. Yeah, and it's another one, one more of those things that when you think about a new team, an expansion team, that it takes them a while to uh, get to know each other, get to know the system. But this team, um, everybody by now, that the players um, know where everyone is, uh, where they can find each other. Like they are so used to uh, to their teammates, uh, which is great to see, and I think that also uh, proves that what the team did with bringing uh, some of the guys back in July, August was great um, because you have a good base of 11, 12 players that play together for the last six, seven months and uh, make it easier uh, when uh, preseason started and you try, try to integrate some newer guys. And especially with those newer guys, uh, some of them being in that sense, Joaquini and Nelson, who were able to, I think, take advantage of those uh, those guys who coming into this preseason knew the system because of that. And so you're able to share that knowledge and and kind of get other players on the same page quicker. So I think uh, going into 
going into the half uh, is the goal of the game, more or less, I think is, is a fairly easy way to say it. So stoppage time at the end of the first half, Klaus Basically the same idea where there was a there was a build up from Nico to Klaus and then Klaus just kind of starts running downfield with the ball like a madman with uh, Taylor Chalmo would describe him as a deer trying to get out of a car and he's just <laughs> bullying over people and he eventually I think loses the ball maybe two or three times and still is able to collect it mid stride to get that ball in the back of the net. I And of, of course, because the opposing team touched it, no assists to anybody. It was another unassisted goal. What do you think about Klaus's ability to play the ball, regardless of how it looks, his ability to play the ball in and around the box, facilitating or, in this case, taking it himself? Yeah, he's he's so great with, with his feet. And, uh, like, yeah, he it's just like he ha- he's, he's big, uh, but at the same time, he... He has a he has great feet and he can control the ball and protect the ball and uh, at the same time he can like go through uh, defenders and still keep the ball so that's a great skill and he's I think he's surprising the league and every podcast every uh, recap of the week that I hear um, Klaus is Klaus is always mentioned about his ability his skills uh, so. It's great to see that he has been involved in um, obviously three goals. He also had an assist. So he has been involved uh, in every game here with goals or assists. And uh, it's just uh, like the dream start for him in the league. Uh, Because sometimes you get these uh, DPs that, yeah, in paper they are great, but it takes them a while to uh, start scoring, to get used to the league. So it's great to see that he hit it right off the bat and and he's doing great but yeah i love what he's doing and and yeah you can talk about deer getting out of a car 42 <laughs> year old but but yeah he's he, he's the real deal and and he's very important for this team well in reality he's a 26 year old who is on his way to continuing to set a goal contribution record for the club at least as he looks to continue it against RSL, but right now taking what Klaus has been able to do in the first four games in four straight goal contributions over to our third goal scorer in this game, who was like, I wanted to say he started uh, Tomas Ostrak when in fact he subbed in, in the second half in around the 57, 58th minute. And it took him 10 minutes to finally get on the score sheet. No time at all. And we had been looking for this from Ostrak. We knew what he was capable of last year. We knew that he's how good he is, as good as Klaus is on the ball. Ostrak makes it look like it is, it is a theater show going on here. He makes it look like he was born to do this and he can make any single player look silly with the highlight that city posted on one of their socials this week with the nutmeg. It was just an incredible performance by him as a sub and his shot was the first shot, the first goal that city has scored this year outside of the 18 yard box. And it was off of two different rebounds, able to collect it and then just seamlessly move across the box on the outside and score with his left foot, which you so accurately described as the second time he's ever scored with his left foot. The first time being last year with city too. Yeah, yeah, I remember last year uh, after he scored that goal, uh, that, that came up, and I think it was uh, John Hawkward that mentioned this is the yep. first time he he scored with his left foot. So, I I don't know that stayed in my in my mind, and uh, I when I it. saw that goal, I was like, oh wow, that's his second, his first with with City, and 
left footed again. So, uh, so yeah, it's great. And speaking of confidence, it's great to see him uh, on the score sheet uh, because obviously he, the last two games he didn't start, uh, but now with this goal, I think he's gonna get more confidence. And as you were saying, like, I don't know if it is that we expect, like, it's not like he's not playing well. Uh, he's still doing great things um, defensively and offensively. He has had some contributions too, but I think maybe from what we saw on CD, what we saw when CD two played last year, I think we we had very high expectations uh, for him. But um, this will give him a lot of confidence. I actually asked uh, Carnell last week um, about um, the decision to have Ostrak start from the bench and he basically downplayed it. He said, no, it's more a tactical adjustment. He's still a great contributor, and um, but it's great to see him scoring. I think that will give him more confidence and uh, we will see more things uh, from him going forward. Absolutely. And whether it's whether it's all I'm starting, Ostrak starting, either one of them provide a massive boost on that right-hand side in the second half. But I think... Let's but before we uh, dive into some of the the news going into the RSL match, this game also besides those individual chances really uh, described a St. Louis City match. The possession was forty five percent to fifty four point nine on the Quake side. We had twenty shots, they had thirteen. Eight of ours were on goal. Only two of their shots were on goal. Now, mind you, they were some pretty amazing shots that Berkey had some excellent saves, which led to Berkey having his first ever clean sheet something we definitely should not overlook in this match, despite the fact that he had a 1.91 expected goals against, meaning that of those two shots, by any statistical measure of those shots, almost two of them would have gone in. And in his ability to, uh, among other things, block an amazing short strike from Cade Cowell, Berkey taking a clean sheet doesn't just describe our defensive performance, but it describes kind of the mental hump, I think, that he was able to get over by the first clean sheet, in, entering a league is a big deal. Any clean sheet is a big deal. But once you get that first out of the way, kind of like St. Louis City was getting their first win out of the way early, I think you can snowball this into, into future matches. RSL being kind of a perfect opportunity based on how they play. But, you know, what, what did you think of Berkey's performance in this one uh, as we look ahead to RSL? Well, um, Berkey and the defense performed great. Uh, obviously, Berkey made that save. But um, I would have not thought that this was a game uh, to get that clean sheet just because San Jose, their front three, Kate Cowell, Evovisi, Espinosa, um, they had been doing great this season. And uh, San Jose came to this game in great form. And Carnell has, had also said it um, pre-match. He was like, they should have nine points, but obviously... Tiago Almada um, had a different opinion and and gave Atlanta that victory. But it was a team that was coming in good form and dangerous front three. But yeah, the defense, even with um, Tim Parker out, um, Lucas Barlett stepped in and, and Berkey made that save. Um, so great for great for the team and we will see more clean sheets uh, hopefully coming soon 
Yeah, and so let's let's pivot to that. So coming out of the Quakes match, you know, we set the record for most wins to start a season by an expansion side. So we have that to build off of. We've won two away. We've won two at home. We have that to build off of. There's the clean sheet. There's the seven different goal scorers by St. Louis City. But this is far from a 100% healthy St. Louis side going into RSL. From from an injury perspective, from a an international perspective, because as we all know, right now we're in an international window. We have players uh, from St. Louis. We have Miguel Perez, who has gone over to the U19s for the U.S. And we have Kyle Hebert, who received a late injury replacement call-up for the Canadian men's national team, uh, replacing Kamal Miller from Montreal. So Hebert joins for two matches in Nations League, uh, where they play Curacao and Honduras. And actually, we can check that one out at 8 p.m. on Saturday. So if you're listening to this on the Big 550 KTRS, you might be able to tune in to Paramount Plus to see Kyle Heber play uh, right before we, we pick up the, the city match. Right, like watch the first 30 minutes and then switch to uh, city's match, e- right? Exactly, exactly. So, you, I mean, you have the exciting things, but then you have kind of the the antithesis of that. You have last week we were without Blome, we were without Parker. We're kind of looking at a potential similar situation because as we know, um, Parker's groin injury, he just now returned to camp uh, or returned to training this week in individual drills on Tuesday and Wednesday. And as we're recording this on Thursday night, we saw him participate in team activities for the first time. Same same kind of thing with Blome where we found out today that Blome has cleared the health and safety protocols uh, where he was out for the past, I want to say week, week and a half. Yeah, about a week and a half. Week and a half. And so he's healthy in that sense. So he's rejoined the team. He was training with the team on Thursday's practice. But both of them are kind of being worked up. You know, we heard that Parker had a much lower load day today on Thursday. um, And they're looking at him the next 48 hours. So by the time this airs on KTRS, it'll be a little more known. But I think they'll need that entire time to evaluate him. So you can't really say until we see the lineups how he's going to go. Blom to me is a little easier to judge. I, I don't see a whole lot of ways that Blom sees the game day roster on Saturday, knowing how knowing how his fitness was with um, with with his health and safety protocols and how how he was sick. You know, he was in bed from what we know, and knowing his fitness has to get up. And his first day back in training was Thursday. I don't know what what you think that might look like as far as our game day roster, but I can see us going into RSL without both of those players. Yeah, uh, especially Blum because yeah, he was back. He he's clear from the health and safety protocol, but he lost basically ten days of training, and um, he has to regain that fitness. Uh, the other thing uh, is that City will be playing uh, in the altitude, so. Uh, I think he's not going to go to Salt Lake. Uh, Parker will be a last-minute decision. But I think, uh, and Carnell said it today, like, do you risk uh, putting it on this game, but at the same time you risk losing him for longer? So I think the team, knowing that 12 points out of 12 points, uh, has basically some credit credit in the bank account. I think they will go uh, with the players they have. Lucas Bartlett already proved um, last week that um, he's a good piece. In he, he's a good player in terms of uh, adding depth, and um, maybe we'll see some um, 
something from Josh Jarrow or, or from John Bell. Um, but I think the team is not going to risk Tim Parker. And as we found out today uh, from a question during the press conference, Bradley Carnell said that John Bell could go 90 if needed. And so that was a great indicator, great sign to me that while we're technically down our, if Parker's out, we're down our top three center backs at this point from Nilsson to Hebert to Parker, we're looking at a Bartlett, a Yarrow, a Bell, and possibly a Selmer Pedro, who's been talked about this week as a potential left center back option, because we know how great John Nelson's been playing out on the left back side. There, there are options on the roster, but it, that center back position is definitely far from ideal going into RSL. Yeah, and I think there has been a lot of talk about next man up mentality, and mm-hmm. um, this will be a great way to uh, continue proving that and give either Yarrow or John Bell uh, a chance to play. Yeah, so going into RSL, though, St. Louis sits sits kind of pretty in the, in the statistics. So we, we talked about how Klaus has four straight games with goal contributions. From a league perspective, we have some, some top-of-the-league uh, players and team stats going into RSL to keep in mind. So Klaus is second in the league in goals with three, and he leads the league in goals inside the 18 with three. So that's that's a fun stat for Klaus. Edward Leuven still sits second in the league with three assists, thanks to the fact that he didn't get one on the Joachini goal, could be leading the league in that one. <laughs> Roman Berkey, Roman Berkey, we haven't talked about his distribution, but he sits fourth in the league in long passes with 35. And as a team, St. Louis City is tied for the league lead with Atlanta in goals with 11. And we lead the league in goals inside the 18. We talked about it earlier with 10 goals inside the 18. Ostrax being the only one outside. And St. Louis sits fourth in expected goals with 6.66. So some good attacking numbers going into RSL. I think the question to me with Real Salt Lake is going to be similar to the Quakes in the sense that it's a pressing team. And it's whatever the opposite of a pressing team is. It's possession. It's slow buildup. It's it's not anything that has an overly high visibility on their striking. Um, they don't have. They really don't have any player. First of all, they've only scored three goals all season long. Uh, they've played three matches. They had a bye last week, and RSL won their first match against Vancouver Whitecaps two to one at Vancouver. They lost to Seattle in week two. Uh, nil two or two nil and they lost two weeks ago their last match at home against austin two to one so the form isn't quite there they had a bye last week like i said um there's an altitude question they're about four thousand feet above sea level compared to st louis the weather is going to be awful in in salt lake or uh i think we we saw what it's a chance of snow might be in the 20s there is a cham- chance of a snow, and yeah. uh, somebody I was talking to uh, earlier this week um, that has a podcast in uh, in Salt Lake, um, they mentioned that when we also Lake plays in the snow, they have been undefeated. That every time the yellow ball or orange ball comes out, uh, we also Lake wins. So another trend that. Uh, CDSC may break uh, this weekend. I was going to say, there's also a, a streak of one game or the the only game St. Louis City's ever played in 20-degree weather where we have yet to concede a goal. You can make a lot of different arguments with that kind of a thing. But what yeah. it, what do you what do you think we're going to see out of this Real Salt Lake lineup who themselves 
are not a hundred percent for a few different reasons. Yeah. So obviously they don't come to this match in good form and they're also missing um, some pieces due to um, international duty. One of them, uh, Brian Ojeda, uh, mm-hmm. midfielder that has started their three games, um, also uh, will be missing uh, Rubio Ravine, which uh, he had a great year in 2021. Last year, he didn't play a lot because injuries and, and other things. And this year, they're going to be, for this game, they're going to be missing him because he's on international duty. And um, Luna, who is more like a depth, depth piece uh he's also with the us u20s so even though we're missing some pieces they are also missing um some uh key pieces they um they lost um a couple of players uh that left the team um their main goal scorer last year um sergio cordova he signed with vancouver whitecaps and they still haven't found a number nine to um, replace him. So I think CD has a good opportunity to continue the undefeated streak, either win or tie. But one thing to keep in mind is that RSL had two weeks to prepare for this match. Um, So they will be ready. Obviously, and 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 Carnell has mentioned this uh, because he has been at oh now people know like St. Louis presses and how it plays and he's like yeah that's where like the chess match begins like it's, I'm not gonna I'm not going to do always the same I'm gonna have some some tricks some different plays that I'm going to use so I'm sure um, he will have a different plan but um, you don't know like now that City has won four in a row every team is going to want to uh, end that streak. They don't want to be part of that conversation. Oh, you are one of the teams that uh, lost to uh, CDSC during that five winning streak or six, whatever it is. So um, that's another, now St. Louis is a target for all these teams. Oh yeah. And so, so that leaves them, um, Real Salt Lake in particular, kind of shorthanded uh, in a similar way that St. Louis is. One of the things, or one of the players rather, with Real Salt Lake is uh, Jefferson Savarino that I think we should we should discuss. So Savarino himself was called into international duty, but stayed home for personal reasons. We didn't know at first what that meant, but all indications are that he will play. And Jefferson Savarino himself, uh, the number ten in uh, his jersey number, plays out on the left side. Is their designated player, and they have one on their roster, and it's Savarino. He was second on the team last year with seven goals, second on the team with six assists. He is their guy, I think. He's he's the most dangerous player that they're going to have on the offensive side of the field, especially with Rubin out. And he's kind of the guy that I think St. Louis needs to be watching on RSL's left side. So the battle between him and maybe Leuven or Vasilev in the midfield, and especially with Jake Nerwinski out on the right-hand side. To me, Nerwinski and Savarino are going to be a potential battle to keep an eye on throughout the game. But more so than that, I think, so far in this year, so Savarino has good credentials going into the year, but hasn't really hasn't really found net or hasn't really found his form yet this year, it seems. Um, Justin Glad, of all people. Justin Glad, number 15 on the field. He's a 26-year-old homegrown defender, and he leads RSL in goals with two. So I said earlier he has... 
But he's a center back. He is. He is a center back, which is a little more bizarre because especially in St. Louis' system, you're used to uh, some of the fullbacks getting involved in the attack. But, you know, Glad is Glad, homegrown defender. And he, he not only has leading the leading the team in goals with two, but he also leads the team in passing. So the, the stats that I have are that he has 155 successful passes, 182 passing attempts, most successes on the team by 19, and most attempts on the team by 30. So he's not just the guy who's been able to finish for them, but he's also one of their main facilitators. It's an interesting notion based on how they play that their main ball facilitator, the guy who spends the most time with the ball, as well as their primary scorer so far this year, is a center back. I think the press that City has and the way that we can we tend to keep teams um, on their toes and either either make them uncomfortable, force them out of their position, something they're not comfortable with, um, that has the chance to dis- disrupt Glad. And if, if we can disrupt Glad, I think that bodes extremely well based on how integral he's been to the system of RSL. Yeah, and another piece um, that is not on the stats for this year, uh, but that may play against um, City, is uh, Pablo Ruiz. He um, he scored, um, I think it was five or six goals. Yeah, five goals, five assists last year. He's a center midfielder, but he was out um, the first three games because he was back in Argentina um, getting his green card, but he's back and he may be available for this game. So that's a, a new piece that maybe part of the lineup um, this weekend. Yeah, I remember having him on my MLS fantasy team last year a few times, and I was disappointed every single time. So maybe I should pick him up, <laughs> maybe I should pick him up again and, and be disappointed on my fantasy team, but excited about my real-life team. That will, that will change, okay. though. That, yeah, that will change um, their potential, how they look. But also, I think that helps to fill a little bit of the gap from a Rubin, mm-hmm. from an Ojeda being out. So that you're definitely right. That will be interesting. Um, if you're just joining us here, we are Flyover Footy. We're a St. Louis-based soccer podcast on the Big 550 KTRS, leading you into St. Louis City's matchup against Real Salt Lake tonight, match week five, as St. Louis looks to go 5-0 and to start the season. I'm Matt Baker here with Santiago Beltran. And Santi, as we continue to look at RSL and what City is going to go up against, um, going back to something Bradley Carnell was mentioning in the press conference this week, he noted Glad, he noted Savarino that we discussed Another person that he mentioned is Demir Kralik, number eight for RSL, her Croatian midfielder with a goal. And so far this year, leading the team in shots with five and shots on goal with three. His work, uh, his work in the midfield as more of that, I don't know, box to box or, or playmaking, um, dangerous in and around the attacking box. That's another one of those attacking pieces that. RSL is probably going to rely heavily on that. I think our, our defensive midfielders have a great opportunity along with whichever center backs decide to play in neutralizing that. This to me is where Tim Parker may, may have been incredibly valuable to where he often neutralizes the balls that come directly into the box or as players come and attack the box from that midfield perspective. So I wonder if Bartlett or, uh, whether it's Bell or Yarrow end up end up starting there. I wonder how effective Bartlett in particular can be as he continues to take over that Tim Parker role against this RSL side. Yeah, yeah. And another player that um, 
will be interesting to see and Carnell mentioned him today is Andres Gomez, a uh, yep. Colombian winger. Yep. Uh, he's one of the new additions for this year and he started for the first time last game. Uh, he, he said good things about him, that uh, he's really good on the right wing. He hasn't scored yet this year, but um, when I talked to uh, this uh, podcast um, host uh, from Real Salt Lake earlier this week, he said he looked good at that game. Uh, looked like he had some, um, like in terms of finishing the the, ch the chance he had. He maybe there was some anxiety about his scoring, but um, he. He didn't take advantage and didn't finish, but um, a lot of things are expected from from him. Uh, he had a lot of success in the Colombian um, Colombian league, and he's uh, one of the U22 uh, signings. Yep. Uh, he's only 20 years old, uh, so hopefully it will take him another game to uh, to start playing uh, at the level that he's supposed to to show for Real Salt Lake. You know, between Gomez and Pablo Ruiz, I think the the situational opportunity that City has in in landing RSL on the schedule right now is one of those blessings that we we need to consider. What so between the international call-ups that they have and just now getting these players back or in uh, in Gomez's case, I think City can can use that as if they don't start, and then that's an opportunity right there. But if they do start, there hasn't been a whole lot of prep time, even with their bye week last week. That City doesn't probably have a whole lot of tape on them. You know, Carnell mentioned today that they don't often play game plan based on strictly their opponent. You know, they take it into consideration, like he said, who are some of their bigger players to keep in mind. How are they going to move the ball? But they stick with their style, and so far that's gotten them four wins in a row. So taking into consideration the, the new players, the, the players who are gone, this seems to be like if we didn't hit them now and we hit them next week, even though it would be the second week of the international potentially, or as they're coming right back, it would be a whole lot of a different RSL team. And regardless of the weather, regardless of the altitude, this is the opportunity St. Louis has to continue playing their style and have it, have it meaningfully impact the team that has a lot of moving pieces. Yeah, I think um, we're getting them at a, at a good time. And um, maybe it will be five in a row. Um, maybe not. But I think St. Louis has a good chance to tie or get a, that fifth win. Uh, in Spanish, we have a saying uh, that says, no hay quinto malo. So it's like a, there is no like a fifth thing happening. Uh that isn't bad, so maybe that will happen this time. I love it. You know, the so there's a lot of stats you can go into about how RSL is playing, but I think um, you know the fact that they have the second lowest expected goals in open play in the in the league. They've got the second highest expected goals against. So there's a lot of a lot of things that a lot of arguments you can use to make this look really good for City um, with, with a lot of the personnels aside, just how RSL has been playing, what their style is, how they allow teams to press against them. Um, the fact that they don't force a lot of high turnovers, whereas we do, you know, there's a lot of dichotomies going on where they're at one end of the spectrum in stats and we're at another, but ultimately it's an away game in MLS. And 
MLS matches aside, any given Saturday, something new could happen or, or something different. A crazy goal could be introduced. A crazy call could happen. Uh, the altitude could play a factor into some of these players. As much as you game plan for that, it's still just that intangible. Um, but but away matches in general, like you had mentioned earlier, that you can start looking to how many points does a typical MLS playoff team have at the end of the season? Well, at the same time, I think it's for St. Louis City fans, it's important to remember that you win the games you're supposed to win, and most of those happen at home. When you're on the road in MLS, regardless of the, the, the table position of the team, a tie is often viewed as a, an extremely good result on the road, um, especially given these intangibles. So as, as we try to think about what are our expectations for this game, what do we expect the score to be, what do we expect the lineups to be, that's something that we need to keep in mind is that you, like you said, the streak is going to end at some point. And if it ends, if, if the, the winning streak ends and we still come away with this with an unbeaten streak and one point, that's something that we should be incredibly happy with, especially given our position going into this with our player availability. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to end at some point and I will sign on a tie this weekend. Like if I had to sign the dotted line right now, I'll say, okay, I'll take the tie considering uh, that it is a tough place to uh, play at and that we're missing some key pieces. I will take that any day. Okay. So before we get into the predictions and, and you have to put your name on the dotted line of the score, how do we think the lineup is going to look? So we we've spitballed Bart or I'm sorry we spitballed Parker we spitballed Blome, put some names down here formation names what do you think Santi? Okay, so I think we're gonna go Berkey, and then center backs we're gonna go Lucas Bartlett, John Bell, mm -hmm. then um, Nelson Nerwinski. So the the new thing there is John Bell uh, yep. getting his first minutes with the team and then basically i think i'm gonna go uh four three two one um i think that four two two is more for home games uh, but i could be wrong but yeah what i have is that for i mean uh, that yeah that four three two one so then we're gonna have um leuven leuven um escaping my mind sorry um yeah, Lewin and Basilev. Thanks, Matt. And then the question um, is, do you play uh, Rasmus Alm or do you play Ostrak? Uh -huh. I'm going to go with, with Ostrak since he scored last time. Um, then uh, Jared Stroud. Then uh, up front, um, Klaus. Uh -huh. And am I missing somebody? I think that was it. If you had, uh, if you had those three midfielders, yeah. So, so yeah, that's that's what I have. Uh, what do you have, Matt? Similar, similar. I think um, I, I think it's gonna be that a four-two-three-one where we have uh, my center backs uh, are gonna be Yarrow and Bartlett. I really have a tough time because he talked. Carnell talked about Bell today, but it was almost in response to a question about Bell. Right. I know Yarrow has seen minutes. This is also partially me just wanting to see Josh Yarrow get more of an opportunity. I know he was supposed to come into the match against uh, the Quakes, but uh, Joe Akini ended up needing to be subbed there uh, in the dying minutes, so Yarrow didn't see the match. 
I like uh, Nelson, Yarrow, Bartlett, and uh, Nerwinski on the back line. I like Leuven and Vasilev in that defensive midfield, kind of the six, eight roles there, giving Leuven flexibility. But I think those two are the answer to our midfield. And then I, I want to see Joachini on the field, but I, I just have a feeling that we're going to see Joachini sub in the second half when we need more fresh legs in this altitude. And so I've got our, our front attackers as uh, Stroud, Ostrock, Alm, and then Klaus up top. So I think uh, Carnell had some some really um, high marks on Alm. Alm hasn't found the back of the net. He's our only attacker who hasn't, who's reliably played. So I, I I would love to see a goal out of him, but I definitely think we'll see him in the lineup. And that still provides some offensive flexibility, whether it's uh, Joe Akini or Celio Pompeu, uh, or or if anybody else, you know, makes their, if Isak Jensen makes an appearance. So I like that. Um, and then uh, real quick before we go, Santi, predictions on the scoreline. Uh, well, I, I already predicted I'm going to stick to the score I went with uh, on another show. Uh, and I kind of picked that just because other people had picked something else. So this may be a high scoring. Uh, I went with a 2-2. Ooh. So you are putting your name to the dotted line of the tie. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm, I'm not going to change what I what I said earlier in the week. So yes, two two. I like it. Stick being consistent. Perfect. I'm going to go with a two to one score with St. Louis winning. I'm I'm going to ride the I'm going to ride the winning streak until it fails me, and then we'll start to reevaluate. Um, I want to see Alm get us get get on the score sheet, and I'll say Leuven's going to go with another goal. Leuven. Yeah. Okay. Set piece. So, so Set no, piece goal. No. Okay. Hey, you heard it from 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 you heard it from Matt here, uh, and I think you have been like uh, spot on on the predictions, like the last two or three games, right? Pretty close, pretty close. I think on the on this pod last week I said three nothing, but I I wavered on that official app scoring thing, so we'll see. But that's all the time we have right now on uh, on the Big Five Fifty KTRS. Thank you for joining us. This has been Flyver Footy with Santiago. My name is Matt Baker. Enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you next time. And we are back on the pod. So our big 550 KTRS portion has ended. And Santiago and I are back to look at, answer some listener questions, answer some uh, some some Twitter follower questions we had. And I want to talk a little bit more about some of the overall expectations that St. Louis City has. And goodness, Santi, with the week we've had, I think we have to get into that soccer capital discussion. Yeah, and I see your eyes. I see your eyes rolling already into the back of your head with how ridiculous this has been. So we'll save that one. We'll save that one for uh, for a little bit later once we get a little into our Q and A's that we have going on. So um, yeah, and thank you to everybody who who reached out and and gave us some good questions. Um, I did not run these by Santi beforehand, so we're going to get kind of a um, just a little. Honest answers with no uh, predication to it. So the first one, and this is a softball, so to speak, Santi. Um, Robbie had a fun question. How many soccer balls do you think it would take to fill City Park? Let's start it off with that one. <laughs> How many soccer balls? How many soccer balls? I have no idea what fill City Park means, whether it's uh, filling the field right. up, filling the seats, 
literally packing it from the ground to the 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 roof. How big do you think? Um, is? Okay, um, I'm gonna go forty thousand. Forty thousand. I'm just gonna go like a hundred thousand. Just, I don't know what we're filling here, but that seems like a good number. All right, uh, Joe. Joe's got a Joe's got a few questions here, and he had some good questions last week. Joe flies X wings on Twitter. Um, he goes, "As much as I love Forno, the big impact is the validation of Lutz, Carnell, and staff's plans, and the message it sends to the academy players, potential signings, and regional talent. Come to St. Louis City, we know what we're doing. He's so excited for the future." I, I think that's uh, spot on. It says a lot to the system and the culture that they're building from the bottom up. Because like we've talked about ad nauseum here, they started with the academy. They started from the bottom of the pyramid and worked their way up in hiring, in um, recruitment, and just in start time. And so when you're able to tout the success of what you've built in that manner, it's almost like saying, we were successful at the path we're offering you. It's like looking Mm -hmm. at Miguel Perez saying, we were successful in developing players like Perez and Caden Glover into who started in the academy and worked their way up in this short period of time if you work hard enough this can and should be you in addition to all the on-field success that they've had at just about every level yeah and if you go up a level then you have kyle hebert who basically played every minute but five last season with cd2 and this year he played every game with cdsc and now he has been called up to uh, the Canadian national team. And besides Kiever, you have uh, Akil Watts, yep. Celio Pompeu, uh, Jose Jarrell also got some minutes, even though he, he already had some MLS experience. But you are seeing, you are seeing from academy to CD2, from CD2 to to CD, and that's only in two years. So so yeah, you are you are showing that the model works, and uh, I'm sure. In the next few years, we will see more kids from St. Louis making it to um, CD2, CDSC, and uh, CD2 is starting uh, this weekend. Uh, we will probably see uh, a lot of the academy kids uh, getting minutes. So um, that's great. Yeah. What do you think? Uh, we didn't we didn't touch on that on the KTRS part, but what do you think about City 2 this weekend? What should we expect going into that? Because it, from my perspective, I based on the preseason match that they had at SLU, I'm expecting a combination of players that are signed directly to City 2, who the roster is out there on the app, on the website, so you can take a look at that, but also some of the players who um, don't see minutes against RSL, uh, or maybe don't even make the game day roster. Uh, potentially, some players like an Akil Watts, like a, an Azil Jackson, um, Owen O'Malley, uh, Caden Glover, those kinds of players who, yeah, they're rostered with City, but they're either they've been seeing a lot of time in practice with City too. They played against SLU. I'm I'm expecting to see a pretty decent mix. I also wouldn't be surprised if we saw uh, Michael Creek in net. I have no idea how the goalkeeping situation has been with the City two signed players, um, including Eric Walker, who we know from last year. But Michael Creek is another one of those players who has an MLS contract as the third keeper, so. Do you use him and use City 2 to get him minutes to keep sharp if and when he's called upon for City, or do you leverage some of those keepers that City 2 have signed directly? Yeah, for the goal on the goalkeeper specifically, I think I will go with 
Eric Walker or somebody like, yeah, Mike, Michael Crick, um, yeah, it's great. And he had a good season with, with CD2 and now he, he was rewarded with a contract. But if you are thinking about, okay, CD2, we're going to give some kids some opportunities, maybe Crick will be a goalkeeper sometimes. But at the same time, you have to continue developing. And uh, obviously Eric Walker got injured last year. Yep. But uh, you need to to start getting giving him minutes. Uh, he has to regain confidence and and see he he could be one of your goalkeepers of the future. But to your point, we will see a combination of um, academy players uh, and uh, some of the players that don't get minutes with with City. And uh, Carnell has mentioned that multiple times that that on Sundays uh, he will and. En- players that don't make the game the lineup or maybe they're on the bench and don't play, they will probably see minutes with CD2. And it could be one of those things, maybe some of them will see minutes, but won't play 90 minutes. Maybe they will play one half and then you you bring some of the kids in. But it'd be great to see that combination of very young players from the academy system uh, mixed in with... Um, some of the players from City, and and then you have uh, Juan Cusain, Alex Palazzolo, the guys that 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 had that experience with City too, and that should be uh, the guys uh, leading this this team. So um, I think it'll be great. It'll be exciting. I don't think uh, we're gonna have a championship season again. That's not really uh, the goal. Now the goal shifts to uh, development purely. Um, yep. So. Yeah. So, but yeah, it'll be great to see uh, some of the academy kids uh, going against uh, against either other players from other academies or players also on this path to pro uh, with with other teams. Yeah, and it'll. You mentioned uh, AJ Palazzolo. So John Klein is another player who got a city yeah. contract after we drafted him. So it'll be fun to see those two back together in the midfield. And I think this will be a, a good first test for this revamped city two team it it's an entirely different mindset like you said entirely different team with a few of those stalwarts that remain but it's a tacoma defiance team that of any team in mls their two team is historically um competitive so tacoma obviously provided a a a good back and forth for us last year they were fighting with us at the top of the western conference the entire year and regardless of how if we if we expect to go far or reach the playoffs or from a team competitive perspective, you know, I think the the system is still going to be at play in City Two. And so I would hope that we still could see somewhat of a continued success, um, whether it is a, a Western Conference championship level or not, winning record, uh, making the playoffs, those kinds of things. I think you want to see your two teams succeed in that manner, not just because uh you want to have a trophy, but because it is a good indicator of the system success. It's a good indicator of players adapting and buying into that system and performing well in it. Because if they don't, then we're not going to see many graduate or be offered MLS contracts. It's still a pipeline that you want to see continue. And in order to be confident in that, you need to see the system continue to work as much as your individual contributions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and when I said, it may not be a championship season. I'm still counting on maybe some playoffs yeah. uh, or, as you said, winning record and um, getting some guys uh, promoted to 
to City um, next year or at least signing a homegrown contract, even if they had to spend another year with City too. It'll be great to see uh, that progression to continue. Yep. So the game is 5 o'clock at City Park on Sunday. So after watching City uh, late into the evening with that 8.30 p.m. Central start time on Saturday, that'll be a nice kind of cap to the weekend. Um, and for anybody going, I think it'll be a lot uh, a lot more low-key than the City 2 matches last year. I think it'll be an enjoyable experience to be into the stadium. If you haven't been to the stadium, this is the perfect opportunity to do so. Tickets, if you didn't buy the season ticket, they're still fairly cheap 10 to 15 bucks i think 10 or 13 dollars i saw a couple different prices yeah it's uh 13 dollars at least that's what i saw 13 dollars and the season ticket is 105 dollars. yeah it's like eight dollars a game or something right and and in you know as as full up as the wait list as the deposit list was um for a lot of people it's wanting to see the inside of the stadium get in and experience it this is your chance for you know, less than $15, no matter how you look at it, it's five o'clock on a Sunday. Most matches are at five o'clock on Sunday and you, you can have that experience in the stadium. You can also look forward to, like we said, some city players. So a lot of cool things with city two that, uh, I, I hope to see people continue to be excited to watch that team because as much as we always tout the Academy as, uh, the ne the next generation, you know, this is that stepping stone. So it's the next generation that you could see very quickly. Uh, with the first team. So looking back at the questions, this all came from, uh, came from some of the questions. So one of the other questions that Joe had is with the current form of the MLS teams in our region, is it out of the question for this team to invest in a deep run in the U S open cup, trying not to get too far ahead of myself, but why not go all in trying to get to the quarterfinals and see what happens, which is timely. I mean, the U S open cup first round just kicked off this week. Um, you know, I couldn't figure out how to watch a single match, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So what do you I, think? I, Deep run in the open cup. Do you want to see, how do you want to see us approach the open cup when we actually do enter it? Well, um, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure how I feel about deep run. Uh, I, I think I, I want the team to take it seriously and, uh, have a combination of starters and maybe players that don't um, get a lot of minutes. But the thing with the, with having a deep run is that then you start getting into a congested schedule. Yep. And even though the team has a great system, I think uh, the amount of games could take a toll. And especially with the team, the way it started the season, um, yeah. I just think having a deep run will be the most convenient thing, but they always want to win. And I think the team will approach it that way. Like if, if we get into a deep run, we will figure out a way to, to handle it. But I don't know. I, from my standpoint, no. See, this is, this is where having Phil or Stu on to wax poetic about the U S open cup would come in handy. <laughs> I'll, I'll do my best, but I, I'm of the same opinion that you are. Um, and, and it's, it is because there's so much going on this year. And it's not that I don't want to prioritize the best tournament that the country has with regards to this sport and possibly the best tournament in general that they have. But it's the fact that if you, in order to prioritize the U S open cup, you have to give your best 11 
at that point in time going into it. And you're talking about what's going to end up being a midweek match so that if you truly want to go all in, you need to not just um, prepare beforehand. So that we're talking the weekend before you're more or less punting an MLS week by ensuring that everybody who we see now, it's not going to be, Nilsson's not going to be in there, but you're, you're assuming every single um, best 11 is going to need to be 100% fit, ready to go for that midweek match in the US Open Cup. So you play them 45 minutes, you play them 30, 60, something like that, assuming that you play them at all, but you're also going to toss in maybe an Owen O'Malley, maybe you're going to toss in a Keel Watts, Celio Pompeu to start these matches in MLS if you're going to focus on the US Open Cup. That's prepping for it. And then you look to do the exact same thing on the backside because these players are not going to be fully fit to play an MLS match three days later. So you're mm-hmm. going to be dealing with tired legs. You're going to be dealing with fatigue. And so that's essentially two weeks of an MLS season that you're not going in at 100%. And yes, we've bought ourselves some nice, nice, um, a nice head start going into the season. But a season could unravel quickly. And yeah. if your teams go on streaks for reasons, they, they go in and out of form. That to me is a recipe for going out of form. And there's no guarantees that you'd win the U S open cup with that kind of a, a team. You know, you would hope going against what I assume would be a USL championship side that our best 11 will come out on top. But that also goes to me of what is a deep run and how, how long are you willing to do this? Because we go into uh, let's, I think it's the third round that we enter. Mm-hmm. And if we enter in the third round, you're looking at what four matches to get to the championship, right? Third, fourth, uh, or maybe five. It's either four yeah. or five, four or five matches to to win win it all. It, and I don't see any value in going for it all if your goal is to reach the quarterfinals because that was that was part of the question to me. If you're looking to make a deep run, you're looking to commit to winning the whole thing, or you're gonna punt it from the beginning, and if you're not willing to commit to, if you're willing to commit to the entire run, that's a whole lot of MLS matches that you're going to deprioritize. And so you're, you're taking a huge gamble that you're going to make it to the finals. Or you're going to have a trophy at the end of the season. Otherwise you've squandered a lot of what this season has started as. And I, I don't want to take that risk. So I, the long winded way of saying, I agree with you. I just don't see the way we've started in this MLS season. If, if we had started completely different, if we had started um, 0-4, then I would probably be of a different mindset that, okay, MLS season's kind of a lost cause, it seems, already. Right. Like something's, something's gone wrong. Why not go all in on the U.S. Open Cup? But with what we're seeing in the MLS season, there's too much opportunity, too much potential for really good things to happen in this long season for you to be prioritizing midweek matches, even if it is in the best tournament uh, in the country. Yeah, and then uh, you also have um, Open Cup. Uh, I'm not Open Cup, uh, League's, League's Cup, Cup. Yeah, that you also have to uh, prepare for. And even though the league stops uh, during that time frame, uh, still one more tournament to think about, additional games yep. to play. So, so yeah, even though we all like uh, the Open Cup and have great memories uh, from what St. Louis teams have done in the last few years. Uh, I just don't think uh, prioritizing a, a deep run is, is the best, uh, is in the best interest for this year. 
And that's probably something St. Louis fans aren't going to want to hear just because of our history with the Open Cup. Uh, but I definitely think it's a reality that we need to think through. Um, and and to Ashley Sell asked a question in the chat, does the City 2 team play in the Open Cup 2? This year they do not. Um, the Open Cup uh, allows teams at the top of their organization to join or to participate. Last year, City 2 was in because they were the pinnacle team um, in our system. But this year with St. Louis City, Existing City 2 will not participate. And I, I think we'll roll out a team that will have a lot of people you'll see on City 2 uh, throughout the year, but it will be City proper representing us. Players All right. you have. Yeah, and we'll circle back to the Open Cup when we when we get a matchup and when we start seeing uh, uh, when that becomes a little more of a clear picture going forward. Um, the last one is, do you anticipate any changes to the formation or intensity of the press playing in altitude? And this one comes from Toddy B. Mm, that's a, that's a great question. And, and we didn't get much into that, but, um, let's when, go, let's, let's, let's get that deep. Yeah. But when I, when I asked Carnell about that today and he basically said, no, like we were not doing anything different. We went um, there with CD2 last year and basically the way you handle it so it doesn't have a huge impact is to you arrive to the city like as close as possible to, to game time. That way it doesn't have a huge impact. But um, at the same time, I'm just thinking, going back to um, the conversation I had with the, with the um, RSL podcast this week, um, one thing they mention is because I asked them about, hey, what's the impact of the altitude? Uh, what have you seen from other teams? And one thing they mention, and uh, obviously we run out of time for the uh, for the KTRS portion, but uh, I was dying to when when you mention uh, Giacchini coming into like the 70th minute with fresh legs. I think that's the way City will handle it. But what what these guys mentioned was that you see a lot of goals uh, scored like uh, in the last 20 minutes of the game. Mm. And uh, it is a result of um, the visiting team, like basically getting tired, heavy legs, uh, running out of air. But if you bring fresh legs, if you bring uh, Nico Joachini, Celio Pompeo, um, you can overcome uh, those uh, heavy legs and uh, maybe a uh, thin air in uh, Salt Lake. So, and Bradley Carnell also basically downplayed and said, no, um, we don't really think about that. Uh, we just arrived the day before and we had success with CD2 last year. So I don't think it's going to be a, a, a huge impact and, and City will make some, some of those late substitutions um, to... Uh, get some fresh legs and get anybody yeah. who, who is tired out of the game. I, I definitely don't think we're going to change our, our style to try and fit the altitude. Right. I definitely don't see any difference that we're going to approach as far as our press and our, our willingness to kind of swarm those players. But the one thing that I do kind of worry about or wonder about to your point of fresh legs in the second half is our depth. And so the, the players that we have unavailable, if we assume Parker's unavailable, we, we pretty much think Bloom's going to be unavailable. Um, you know, you don't have, uh, you don't have Hebert, you don't have Perez. That's a lot in our, 
our spine, our the defensive part of our spine that's missing that we've relied heavily on this year. And so there's two things that I think to that. The first thing is our defense has more or less stayed consistent each match for almost the entire 90. Um, obviously, Nelson Nelson's played all but a few minutes. Nerwitzki's played mm-hmm. every minute of every game. Um, Parker, before he was out, played every minute of every game. Hebert, before he went on international duty, every minute of every game. Uh, Leuven, every minute of every game. Blom was getting there before his injury. So you right. didn't see a whole lot of rotation in our defensive uh, a defensive posture. I think that's going to be somewhat um, the same deal now. I would expect Nelson and Nerwinski to go the distance. I would expect Bartlett to go the distance uh, because he did last game as well. So yeah. we know he can. We might have Yarrow and Bell kind of flip-flop uh, in the mm-hmm. other center back role. So assuming that uh, Carnell said that Bell can go 90, but at the very least, that could be a sub-position. But then, then you get past that. You get to Leuven, who who goes 90, so he's not worried about him. Vasilev, um, it, I think he can go the full 90, but he hasn't yet. Uh, mm-hmm. That that could be another position where you want to see him on the field because if, if Indy has to go out, are you going to bring in Akeel Watts in the defensive midfield? Uh, you can, yeah. but it's but it's thin. You know, without Blom or Perez, that defensive midfield doesn't. Azil Jackson, I think, is the only other player who has experience in preseason. It's not a position he had before this year, but he's played it in preseason, so he could be an option there. So that's a that Vasilev. But then our attack—that's where I get into it because we so seen, many options. We've, but we've seen significant rotation in our attack so far every single game, whether it's in the 55th minute, 60th, 70th, 75th, 85th, just about every single one of those players has subbed out uh, at some point in the game. I, I don't, Klaus has gone the full 90 a couple times, but all these other players have seen significant rotation. So what are our options going to be there if those players are gassed uh, early or even just a little bit earlier than they normally are. Because if you start with a Stroud, an Ostrock, an Alm, and a Klaus, you basically have Celio Pompeu, you have potentially Azil Jackson, Isak Jensen could be an option if he's healthy, and then up front you have Nico Joachini and Sam Adeneron. Like, there are options. Like, you could sub for each one of those players, but to me there's a there's a drop-off in, in quality um, – if they get gassed early. So you're asking some of the players who may not have played as often or as long as they have so far, put in significant minutes. If our, if our attacking players get gassed early. Yeah. But like, uh, if you think about what Adeniran has done, um, when he has played, like mm-hmm. he's so quick and he can make a huge impact. If he comes uh, for the last 20 minutes, let's say Klaus is gassed and you still have, a Deniran and maybe you switch to a four-two-two and plug in Joaquini also. Yep. Um, I think that that could be a, a good option. I, we have a lot of options uh, on offense, and you may see a little bit of drop off, but but um, I think from what I have seen, uh, a Deniran, Joaquini, Celio, when he has come, he has also uh, played well and made a difference. Um, so I think there are options uh, if somebody needs to come out because they are gassed because of the altitude. You know, I do think, um, that I like that. I like that thought. I really like the idea of, especially because you mentioned that RSL said that a lot of the goals typically come at towards the end of the game when some of the players are gassed. 
well, if we can start with Klaus up front and then finish the game with Joachini and Adeneron in there, that I think provides uh, pressure to the point where RSL is not used to an opposing team able to finish a match as mm-hmm. high pressing as high octane in the their attacking third as we might be able to, and and in that sense we would need to rely more or less on um, at least one of Stroud, Ostrock, or Alm going the distance or playing a significant near ninety amount uh, because mm-hmm. at that point. At that point, you're looking at um, if you start off with those four, if we assume Stroud, Ostrak, Alm, and Klaus, if you sub in Joachini and Adeneron and then Celio, you got one guy who still needs to who still needs to run out there, unless you're putting in an Azil Jackson or an Isak Jensen. So guys who haven't seen minutes yet uh, or significant in Jackson's case for City. Uh, but that's kind of your depth. Like you're, you're spent at that point. You're really, really scraping the barrel, so to speak, because you're not leaving anybody not subbed in on the attacking side. Um, and and I, I do think that's where our subs are going to come from is Mm -hmm. I I still see an ability to, um, maybe, maybe Indy depending, uh, because just because he hasn't gone 90 yet, not that he can't, but Yarrow and bell would be another spot. Um, and that will leave us well positioned because I think we'll need those subs more so than we have in the first four games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, never, never mind. I was going to ask you about, uh, but you said your prediction, so never mind. but yeah, it'll be a, an interesting game. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the altitude does and, um, hopefully, um, these late subs um, will take care of business and bring either one point or three points. Well, I mean, if we even if we get just one, um, let's pivot to something else I want to talk about, which is expectations for this team. So we talked about the before the season started, the just the wooden spoon winner expectations. We we talked about how that shifted a little bit on the KTRS part uh, to. I it's MLS wrap up the MLS season pass show. There were comments that St. Louis city is now seen as a team that is at the very worst, a playoff team. There's nine mm-hmm. teams in there. You had the math earlier that you're starting to see it as a cl- much more clear path to if you sustain anywhere near what we're doing now. Uh, then you can, you can see the math adding up to the points that you would typically need to make the playoffs. So, I liked in the press conference today that it came up um, for both Carnell and Edu Leuven about expectations and how they're handling that. Um, what do you think from what you've heard about these different expectations? Do you agree with them, first of all, in that St. Louis City may be seen as at least a playoff team at this point? And are you liking some of the answers that you've heard on how the team is handling that kind of a pressure? So a playoff team, yes, I think that's that's realistic. Uh, but it's still too early to to think, oh, St. Louis is gonna make a deep run in the playoffs. Um, I think it's still early, but but yeah, definitely playoff team um, for sure. Unless this is there is like a huge drop off in form, but um, but yeah, based on the numbers, I think. Uh, is there is attainable um 
which would be a success for the team to make it to the playoffs in the first season. And the way uh, the team is taking the expectations, I, I really like it. They, all this time, uh, even before the first match, uh, say, no, we're going to take in one game at a time. Um, it's 34 weeks, 34 games we have to plan for. And after a game ends, we, yeah, we talk about it, look at what went wrong, what we need to do better, but we focus on the next game and i like that that attitude the the team is not thinking about oh we're doing great um they just um take it one game at a time plan for it and don't think about being first in the on the table or having expectation about playoffs they're very realistic and just um think about the next game and go from there yeah, if that's one thing that um, I really enjoy hearing from Carnell, especially it's that um, almost the goldfish mindset where we've, I, I really like that quote from Ted Lasso where it's uh, yeah. be a goldfish. And I've got a, I have a calendar that I'm staring at right now where um, uh, Sam Obasanya has, is saying that. And, and I can't help but think about that whenever Bradley Carnell says something like every, every Monday we reset. Because yeah. good or bad, you kind of need that mindset. You yeah. you enjoy what you see from a player perspective. Leuven called it out um, when I asked him about how he sees those individual accolades and and the pressure that comes with that. And and the idea of yes, you you appreciate it. You don't let it change anything you're doing. Uh, and and I think that that comes through from the team perspective in how they're handling it. So they're getting they're getting more uh, accolades from the national media. They're getting more. Um, exposure in, in the local media as well because it, it's a fun team to follow. Who doesn't want to follow a team that's 4-0? They've never lost a match in their history, blah, blah, blah. But from a player perspective, the reason that they've gotten to this point where they're 4-0 is because they've bought into the system and that goldfish mentality. And, and I, I see that continuing, not necessarily to the undefeated um, uh, point, but more so to good or bad. Like they're not going to allow expectations. They're not going to allow individual results to change anything that they do. And what I what I'm going to look forward to in that is how will they handle a bad run of form? Because they've handled a great run of form well. They they've continued it. Um, not just a one win or two win, but they've able to string together these. What happens if you're having for whatever reason, whether it's injuries or uh, another international window, whatever ends up happening, maybe at league's cup, something happens. Um, how, how are you going to bounce back from that from a multi-game perspective? We know they can bounce back mid game. We know they can come mm -hmm. from behind, but that's kind of the one thing at this point, I'm looking to things that I haven't seen so far that I expect to come up because you've, you've got your come from behinds in the game. You've got your winning streaks. You've got your clean sheets out of the way you have, um, multi-game like goal contribution streaks. All these things are happening. We have those like, notches in our belt, so to speak. But a loss, a losing streak, those are kind of on the horizon at some point. And I don't necessarily expect, at least initially, that to change the overall expectations that have started to shift. Um, MLS pundits seem to be really slow to change in in how they approach their power rankings or their teams 
I think that's why now, even now, having won four games, we still haven't reached the top of anyone's power rankings, which is just that that goes to show the how ingrained they are into what their own expectations were. And they're slow to adapt to a changing landscape, even though even though this year is different than last year. A lot of the expectations are based on what they had last year or teams going into this year. And I I think that now that we're on the flip side of that, um, it's going to take a little bit of time if something were to happen for us to fall from what these new expectations are. Yeah. But yeah, it's change. It's changing that that narrative is changing slowly. Although yeah, you still see, okay. You still see some articles that say, Oh yeah, St. Louis is doing great. But mm-hmm. that I, I think I read one today or yesterday, like, Oh yeah. Why St. Louis is doing so great and why it won't last. I think that was the, the ah. headline. um, but yeah, it's changing. Um, about a losing streak, I think um, the team will handle it the same way they are handling uh, this winning streak. And I think that will actually, when it happens, it will be helpful for the team because you need to go through uh, the good and the bad um, to be successful. So it will happen at some point. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. It won't happen. But, but yeah, I think that helps you uh build character and and continue building building the team so i think but i think the team will handle it the same way were you reading the back healed article is that from uh yes I think it was Joe Lowry. Yeah, yeah i i had the, actually had that pulled up because i was reading that earlier today and it does it starts off saying st louis city is an elite mls team for now and i i liked when i started it about he ate some crow um joe lowry for the prediction he had going into the season, how St. Louis would be bottom of the West kind of struggle. And he says clearly, Mm -hmm. but I was wrong. The thing that you allude to though, is the for now. And so he, Joe Lowry is, um, he's a really good analytical mind and I enjoy Mm -hmm. listening to him analyze the game. And I enjoy his written stuff because it really goes deep and it gets into, it gets into the nuts and bolts, even that amazes me, um, to what they're able to pull out from the data. And this particular article, and I'm just going to read it real quick because I think it speaks to some of that, what we can look forward to in why, Mm -hmm. why teams, why St. Louis isn't, um, being given like a pass at this point saying, okay, they've won four in a row. They're for real. Like they can continue this throughout the whole season. So it, it goes straight into say teams get tired, players get Mm -hmm. tired and get hurt. Ball dominant teams get sharper on the ball limits, the pressing effectiveness, And American soccer analysis found that every single MLS team was pressing less in July of last season than they were in May of last season, all of them. So if Mm -hmm. you expand that analysis to the last two years, second spectrum's pressing data shows there was a dip in pressing frequency after the opening stages of both 21 and 22. So it's consistent as good as St. Louis city has been in their press as revolutionary, almost as they've been from an expansion team's perspective, the overall predictions for how how that system is going to um evolve throughout the season is that it's going to falter and and they they've got data to back it up from a pressing perspective they don't necessarily Mm -hmm. have and i i don't mean to sound like um st louis is a a unicorn on this but they don't have st louis style data they maybe it's like energy drink soccer but it's not st louis style soccer data yeah and that's the thing Statistically, what he has there, yeah, it makes sense. It's correct. But as you were alluding, like this St. Louis team may not necessarily be that 
100% energy drink team. So um, it may be different and, and the team may, may tweak it a little bit during the summer. Uh, I'm pretty sure Carnell and his team are already thinking about these things and um, how they will handle the high humidity and and high temperatures in, in yep. St. Louis and in other places they go to play around July and August. Um, but yeah, yeah he has they good... did. They did yeah. last year. So they have that exactly. experience to draw off of. Same thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that, to me, that speaks to the city two's effectiveness too. So like they're, mm -hmm. they are a new team to MLS, but they're not a new team in handling the situations that they're going to need to handle. And St. Louis, they, I'm trying to remember city two's exact progression. And yes, there was an infusion of talent in the August timeframe, but from a system perspective, the players didn't necessarily fall off. Like they, they kept going and that's how they were able to make the playoffs um, as that new team with the new system. Yeah. And there, there was uh, just going back to the conversation about losing a streaks, uh, city two had a uh, two game losing a streak and it was towards the end of the season. Mm -hmm. uh, but they bounced back really well and, and beat the two teams that uh, were maybe it was a three-game losing streak. Uh, but uh, they ended up beating both Tacoma and North Texas, who were two of the teams that beat St. Louis during that losing streak. Um, but yeah, there wasn't a huge drop-off in form. And, and yeah, although there was new talent coming in from the international guys, at the end, the bulk of the minutes uh, was the same City 2 guys, even if yep. you inserted Klaus sometimes, Ostrak towards the end of the season, uh, the bulk of it was the City 2 guys. Yeah, you, you were still carried by the guys who got you there, which shows that mm -hmm. they didn't have the drop-off that Joe Lowry and, and the analysis are expecting City to have so drastically come July or August. And who knows, maybe come July, August, you may insert a couple of new players too we still have all that uh budget available money available uh u2 initiative available so who knows i'm impressed that you didn't drop firmino's name ah uh, yeah no i um i i'm not and we're not gonna get into this in detail <laughs> but i'm gonna go no yeah i, I you know what's funny? You know, I because we're in the middle of watching it and the, the new season just came out of, of Ted Lasso, I might be the only person who's seeing parallels in um, the storyline of Ted Lasso versus this city Firmino rumors. But isn't that a little on the nose about this team collective and how the system runs everything? And then you look at a $10 million a season player in Firmino coming on and you're trying to get him and what that could do to the locker room. And, and, you know, we have yet to see it, but that episode, I mean, spoilers, I guess, to whoever's hasn't caught up on Ted Lasso, but the, the storyline's starting to develop. I haven't, I haven't. Uh, okay. I'll stop. <laughs> I'll stop. There's something on there that, that is similar to what we're talking about. It's yeah. not, it's not a, in any of the characters we love. It's just a plot point right now. Mm -hmm. um, fun to, fun to track that I'll move on. But yeah, the first thing when 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 that Firmino thing came up, the first thing that came to mind to mind uh, for me was the locker room. Like yeah. you have a good thing going on, um, just keep it going. Yeah. And uh, if you have money to invest, at least to me, like I think it's better to invest in a good under twenty-two player mm -hmm. um, for the future than uh, 
trying to bring to spend 10 million in, in Firmino. That's yeah, that's my take. Yeah, the the mechanisms that we haven't taken advantage of yet can't be overlooked um, for that flexibility. But one one last note that I I was just just came to me is when we're talking about tired legs in July and August and how that could play out. The analysis uh, has looked at seasons in which MLS didn't take a break. Right, we're getting mm, a month long a break point. from from season play, from regular season play here. So, regardless of what we do in League's Cup, um, I, I don't. I'm not expecting. I, I would hope that we get out of. It's a tough group. I would hope that we get out of group stage, but two of the three teams make it out, and we're going against the Columbus Crew and Club America. That's tough, no matter how yeah. you slice it. And so, worst case with League's Cup is we get an almost a month long break to regain our fitness, to not have to play in potential significant heat in July and August. The, the season picks up again in mid-August. So mm-hmm. that that's groundbreaking in and of itself, that concept of you're not needing to play four matches in that kind of heat. You might get some fresh legs. You, you might end up playing into League's Cup, so I don't know how that's going to play out, but the, it's an unknown is all I'm getting at, and that hasn't played into any of the statistics or the evolution of how you analyze a high pressing team. It's a curveball that nobody has any idea how it's going to play out, but it's something that is worth mentioning when you talk about how we're going to do and how our press is going to survive later this year. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, that leaks cup break, um, it's going to come into play for sure. All right, Santi, I got one more thing on our agenda to talk about, and that is the soccer capital nonsense that happened this week. Hey, before we go into that, it looks like we have one more question out there. Yes, yes. So Adam Tenhouse says, and and this picks up on our convo about um, uh, rotation going into RSL and how our attackers might might, uh, fare. He asks, which sub opens their account next? Celio, Adeneron, or Alm? What do you think first? Well, um, yeah, I wouldn't consider Alm a sub, but from those three, um, I'm going to go with Adeniran. He's going he's gonna to come late in the game it's against fair. RSL and open his account. It, it, would, it would match up with how you were describing him and how you were describing uh, how teams often score in Salt Lake. So... I would not be opposed to that. Um, I, I already gave away my answer earlier, which was Alm, because I want him to right. score. I have him starting against RSL, and I want him to open his account that way. Not as a sub, but I want to see him. Because he's had some good opportunities. It's not like it's not like he hasn't seen and had good chances. He just hasn't, yeah. hasn't been able to slip one past. Or um, I, I really want to see Klaus facilitate for Alm, because... Alm has had some opportunities on the right side, uh, but it just seems like there isn't as much of a connection between Alm and Klaus. And this may be anecdotal or not statistics-based, just from the eye test. It doesn't seem like there's as much connection between Alm and Klaus as there is with um, Klaus and and Stroud, for instance. It just seems Mm -hmm. like Stroud connects more uh, in that attacking third. Alm while he's had some chances is a lot of, a lot more of a facilitator. He has an assist. Um, he sends the ball in really well. And I just want to see him get more of an opportunity in connection with some of those other players. Okay. 
I mean, obviously we'd be ecstatic for any one of those three to find net. And if Alm's playing late in the game, you know, I think, I think all three of those players on the field at the same time uh, would mm-hmm. be exciting. Cause I liked Celio on the left side yeah. a whole lot last year with city too. Yeah. But yeah, I'd be excited if, if it's Celio scoring uh, any of those three guys. How would cool. Be, How it cool would be exciting. Be. Uh, one thing, and, and you mentioned this earlier, uh, 11 goals, seven goal scorers. Uh, I, I love to see that. And uh, just going back to City 2, like uh, the first few games, we also have a lot of goal scorers. So maybe mm-hmm. it's more of a system thing that you see uh, a lot of um, players scoring goals. But I like that everybody is contributing. Yeah, and there, um, there, there's some interesting stats that City put out in to that point in their match day preview that City's going to look to become just the sixth team in MLS history to open a season with multiple goals in each of the first five games. Just the sixth team to do that. First to do it since 2019 with LAFC and the 2019 Toronto FC teams. Um, every team that was able to do that, each of the previous five, advanced to the MLS Cup playoffs. And two of them advanced to the MLS Cup itself. So oh we've got pre- we, we've got uh, history on our side when it comes to winning streaks in general, and we have history on our side when it comes to multi-goal games to open the season. There, there's a lot to look back on positively with that for City. Wow. So we've gone, uh, I think we're up to about an hour and a half on the pod, Santi. Let's finish it off with the the soccer capital conversation that happened this week, because it was a kerfuffle to say the least on social media. And it got people involved that really had no, I I didn't even know they were paying attention to that sort of thing. Uh, But for anybody who, who wasn't aware, wasn't looking at like Twitter or whatever other social media, it ended up spinning off into um, there's a podcast that our friends do the soccer. They used to be called soccer capital podcast. And they posted this week, a, um, they, re- they released a press release saying that they were changing the name of their podcast because they had been asked, contacted by lawyers for Sporting Kansas City, that their the name of their podcast was infringing on a trademark that they held. And then it took me a little bit to realize this was for real because these guys have released press releases before and it's been kind of funny. But they had changed the name of their Twitter handle and their podcast right. already to um, – River City Ramble, which is a good name, but mm-hmm. you know we everybody started to just kind of what what is this? What's going on? Like how what do, what do you mean they have a infringement claim? And so they released an email that it was redacted from the names, uh, but it was sent by the vice president and general counsel of Sporting Kansas City, as well as this other company, um, who come to find out is part of the business structure of some of the SKC owners that said that Sporting Kansas City holds a trademark to the phrase, the soccer capital of America. And they claimed that they wanted to have a conversation with the soccer capital podcast guys because they their lawyers felt that they were infringing on that, the soccer capital of America trademark. So before, I don't even necessarily want to get into the merits of uh, who should be the soccer capital, because in a sense, it's, there are no, like there's, it's just a, it's one of those fun things fans say. It's not yeah. like, you can call yourself a soccer capital, but it, to me, should be based on facts and history and something to hang your hat on. Like the fact that uh, St. Louis Stars account, for instance, went back and found news clippings yeah. from 1911, 1913, the 1930s, 60s, 70s. 
that outside sources were referencing St. Louis as the soccer capital of America and the soccer capital of the USA, all these things. It's something that is grassroots. It's organic. It's people label you that because of what you've done, not mm-hmm. because you've gone out and trademarked a phrase that you're literally saying, we're taking this. You have to call us this now. We're branding ourselves as this and nobody else can use it because we've gone through a legal process to do it when nobody else had any inkling that that was something that you should even do. Yeah. And yeah, that's going to be uh, a never ending debate. Uh, I even saw uh, some people who don't have a skin in the game, don't even live in Kansas City or St. Louis claiming is neither St. Louis, near Kansas City. Uh, so yeah, you will never get people to agree on, on which city is the soccer capital of America. But I was, and I don't know, uh, this comes from uh, somebody who didn't study law and is not familiar with trademarks, but I was surprised that uh, Kansas City was able to get that <laughs> trademark. Yeah. Because it includes like capital and it includes America. So I don't know, like from common, I don't know, like I would think that's that not something that you would be able to trademark, but that's probably yeah. a conversation for a different day. But, but yeah, it's, and as you said, it's just something that you earn organically, not like, Hey, I have it now. So you should call me a soccer capital of America. Yeah, and I, I was looking it up on the Patent and Trademark Office website, and it did very clearly say like it doesn't include um, no no claim is made to the exclusive right to use soccer and America apart from the mark as shown, which is as the phrase the soccer capital of America. But mm-hmm. you're 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 totally right that that phrase is an absurd thing for a trademark to be given for, mm-hmm. given the the nature of the phrase itself. Like, how do you? How would one prove that even is a thing? Right. Um, but the the thing that my takeaway from it, aside from the, there's two things, I guess. Um, first, they filed these loss. They they filed these um, sent these letters or threats or however you want to construe them to not just Soccer Capital Podcast. I heard that Arch Apparel in St. Louis received one as well for a scarf oh. that they a scarf that they made. So the this is silly podcast this week referenced it as well that. They, they used to make or they have these scarves that say um, the soccer capital of America or soccer capital of America. So they received a cease and desist type of letter as well for selling those scarves. And it, it does two things. So first, um, first, the sheer fact that they're sending those out is essentially, and I'm not a patent attorney at all. I have friends who are that I haven't talked to yet about this, but I'm far from it. First understanding I have of that is they're defending their trademark. And so if and when a battle comes that somebody challenges your trademark, the fact that you're able to show that you defended your trademark mm. essentially successfully goes in their favor. And so yeah. if, down, if down the line, St. Louis City, I don't know, decides, Carolyn Kendall decides, we made scarves. You know, I've got one back here. We, ma- we made scarves like that. <laughs> there you go. America's soccer capital. And we want to begin selling those again. And, and she files suit against Sporting Kansas City saying, you know, you can't trademark this. Well, Sporting Kansas City is going to have now something that they fall back on that says we challenged these and they backed off and, you know, we, we successfully have this trademark, blah, blah, blah. That's, that's one thing. The other is, and this is, I think, something that's important for St. Louis fans to remember, is 
anytime you see Sporting Kansas City use the phrase the soccer capital of America in their branding, in their marketing, on billboards on I-70, on <laughs> on public buses and public transit in Kansas City, you're not seeing some organic um, people call us this phrase. You're seeing something that the club has taken through the legal process to bestow upon themselves so that nobody else is legally allowed to use that phrase. It's no longer grassroots. It's no longer organic. It's no longer fan-driven or something to have fun with in the ethos of American soccer. It is Sporting Kansas City's business side making this a branding, a marketing slogan that is essentially lost all of its meaning now to what it could reference, which is, in St. Louis's case, an actual history of the game being kind of popularized in the country, surviving the test of time, Open Cup championships, national team success, all these things that go back uh, a, a century plus. That That's not what Sporting Kansas City is doing with this. It's purely marketing. It's purely business. It is purely a slogan, a branding slogan for them. Yeah. Yeah, and just... The other thing is just um, the cease and desist, um, like podcast that I don't know, like it's not like a they're it's a big threat and it's not like they're making money nope. out of it. Like I don't know, just not that, not necessary. I I can only that that's why I go back to they just want to show that they've defended their trademark. Yeah. They somehow got th that podcast, the Arch Apparel Scarf somehow got on their radar and their lawyers were like, yeah, this is a chance for us. So let's mm. let's defend this. And so we can't lose it. And so that that to me is another reason why you're seeing the branding start to be all over the place with that billboard. Right. So people get up in arms because, oh, my gosh, this is this means it like this means that they're the soccer capital, like they're putting it out there. Well, they are the only ones who can put it out there now because it's a brand to them. It doesn't mean anything that it used to mean in the sense of how we think of what that could be. We think of like a Portland, a Seattle, a St. Louis, something that like goes to, we, we can, we, sh we talk about our history. We talk about the growth of the game and that's not what this is. And I'm kind of bummed too, because I used, I, I lived in Kansas city for a while. I mm -hmm. used to, I used to go to uh, sporting games, wizards games when I lived there and I, I enjoyed sporting Kansas city. I, Obviously, I'm a St. Louis guy through and through, but you know I have a history of enjoying what that club built. But it it, it disheartens me that something that should be uh, a fun fan, a fun organic thing that can be discussed, is now just another brand, another marketing tool that they're legally preventing anybody else from even attempting to use. It's yeah. The one thing I really liked about all of this was um, how people reacted and the solidarity uh, with the podcast. Yes. Uh, people changing uh, their um, their Twitter uh, to Capital or Capital, and um, even like people like um, like people like Taylor Twelman and other people like. Uh, like uh, chiming in, like uh, I really loved uh, that that single post where where they had that press release. Like uh, it got like a uh, six hundred thousand views or or something like that. Uh, oh yeah, it did more for them than their standard podcast ever would. Like it was just yeah. 
that that created an organic growth for them. And yeah. I, I couldn't yeah. agree more for you that the support that they saw and the fact that Kansas City is a universal villain in this context and in this discussion, <laughs> it's not lost on me. It's not lost on anybody who's who's seeing this. Like there's coming the big corporation coming after the little guy. Like that's that's all it is at the end of the day. And so um, you know, Mike, Mason. Chris, like all those guys over there that, that do that pod, um, more power to them. I hope this, hope this elevates them. I hope cause they're, they're good podcast. I mean, they, they are a weekly, they've been weekly for a long time. They've produced, I think close to a hundred episodes over the past year and a half, two years. So, you know, and their they, first uh, episode was before this trademark was, oh, fired, yeah. right? <laughs> Yeah, that's another, I mean, that's it's just an, another absurd wrinkle to that is that their podcast wow. existed before this trademark existed. And so I, they've spoken out about the, the, just the ability to litigate this being a factor. And if they could litigate it, I have a hard time seeing that they wouldn't be successful given they existed right. beforehand. But that's, that's me like talking and not playing with real money in real in the real yeah world. it's just so. a lot of time and resources and yeah it's understandable that they don't want to go to end of the day and just move on change the name and yeah continue doing the great work they are doing you know yeah end of the day more exposure have a cool name uh and sporting kansas city comes out looking like the villains and now we have new ammo to throw at them anytime that they use the phrase the soccer capital of america which I don't think anybody knew before this that that was a trademark phrase, and that's why it kept popping up all over the place now. So to me, there's there's no organicness. There's no grassroots. It's your This is a corporate entity slogan, and that's all it is to you. It means nothing. One thing for sure is that that game on May 20th is going to be really interesting, and the fans will be into it. Um, Oh yeah. Great. Uh, it's it's going to be a great first uh derby clasico whatever you want to call it between uh, St. Louis City and Sporting KC. You're going to have some interesting signs, you're going to have some interesting banners and um I wonder if the SKC lawyers will be taking names down after that one because I have a feeling there's going to be more than a few soccer capital references at that game. Mhm. Yeah. All right, Santi, anything else you want to add before we uh, before we head out? No, no, all, all good. Hopefully um, I'm wrong with my prediction and we'll see uh, five in a row. Hey, like we said, if you're not wrong, we still come up with a point on the road, which is, like we said, good for MLS teams. That's, that's still, it would keep the undefeated streak going. We could have fun with it. And, you know, I, I go back to RSL in the sense that it is... If you look at the styles, if you look at the matchups, the history of the past four games, things favor us pretty well. Mm-hmm. And and so there are intangibles that lead into uh, how this might be different. There's some personnel differences. Um, that's going to be the, the big key to me. Not necessarily how teams have played up until now, but how these personnel changes, how the intangibles uh, force differences to how teams have played. But it'll be fun to watch. Yeah, looking forward to it. All right. Well, that's all we have for Flyover Footy for this week. My name is Matt Baker with Santiago Beltran. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you later. See you later.